Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I'm gonna bring you another story of someone's OCD struggle, their their struggle to deal with their intrusive thoughts, their struggle to communicate that to other people, then their struggle with the mental health world, not identifying their issue as OCD, and then even when they knew it was OCD, the struggle to find the right treatment. It's unfortunately a journey that is not unique in the predictability of not getting the diagnosis and the struggle to find treatment providers. But I think everybody's story has its own unique essence. And I want to bring to you Ben Ellis's story today, who um, was brave enough to agree to come on and share his story because he realizes that there's not enough male voices out there, young male voices, helping other guys realize that it is not weak to get help, that their intrusive thoughts are common and they're not a horrible, disgusting person. And I think hearing it directly from other young men is therapeutic. So I was very excited that Ben decided to come on my show and share his story because he's very inspiring. And I hope that you find his story helpful and are able to share it with your child or your teen or your young adult so that they can know that they are not alone, because that's really the goal. Uh, Before we jump into my interview with Ben, I want to thank NoCD, actually, for sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy. They're available in the U.S. and outside of the U.S., and you can schedule a free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is a right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com. That's treatmyocd.com. I'll leave a link in the show notes. And I feel like this episode in particular really highlights the need for services like NoCD that have really been changing the landscape of OCD therapy because it is so hard to find someone who is truly trained in OCD. Um, And as you listen to Ben's story, he will tell you that they found therapists that listed OCD as one of their expertise, but, you know, quickly they moved right into talk therapy and other approaches and modalities that are not conducive or effective for someone with OCD. And so it's nice to have a company where you can be like, okay, if I call an OCD, I know that they have training. I know that they know what OCD is. They know the evidence-based approaches for OCD, and I'm in qualified hands. And that is half the battle, to be honest with you. So I hope that you find Ben's story inspiring. I hope that it can help your kids feel like they are less alone. And I think that for us as parents, um, as I was listening to him, he sounded very much like my 13-year-old. And um, he was saying that some of the things that he was going through at a younger age were similar. And I think that kind of insight really helps us as parents get maybe a window into what's going on in our kids and their struggles. So I hope that that sheds some light for you as well. Also, I do want to mention, I don't know why that UPS has to always come right when I'm recording my podcast (laughs) and my little chihuahua is very barky barky. And um, 
she started to bark right when Ben was talking about something very sensitive and we didn't pause and I'm not going to have that edited out. So excuse my chihuahua for being a little overprotective. Um, it was just very noisy in the background, but you know, so is life, right? The other thing I want to mention before we dive into this interview is that I am having my free series. I do this twice a year on survival tools for parents raising kids with anxiety or OCD. People come back every year for this series. So that kind of tells me that people are getting something from it. And not only are they getting something from it, but they want to hear it again and again. So I like that. That makes me feel good that it's a good quality free series. Uh, You can join by going to atparentingsurvivalseries.com. If you follow my work, I do two free series twice a year each. So I do four series in total, four free series a year. And it's when I really dive deep with you. I do Facebook lives. If you're not on Facebook, it doesn't matter because they are videos. They're video series that I do. It comes right into your inbox and you can learn, you know, in your pajamas. You don't have to show up on Facebook. But if you want a really deep dive, I do bonus live classes throughout the week and a half the series is running. Um, and we make it fun. We, I do raffles and I give away stuff. And the whole purpose is to highlight you know, that there's always a place to start no matter where your child is at. I feel like that was really key in my interview with Ben was he was talking about like being proactive, you know, and that if you can build skills younger with your kids, like they're not going to get to the point where he got to at 18 before he had his turnaround. And so building those skills is something that we can do. We create a therapeutic home environment, regardless of whether we have a therapist involved or not. It's our home and we can make our home therapeutic. And in fact, we have to when we have kids with anxiety or OCD because their anxiety or OCD is not nine to five. Um, And so when our kids are having a struggle, we're the ones that are having to deal with it. And a lot of therapists don't work with the parents. A lot of them do, thankfully, the really good ones, in my opinion. But a lot of therapists just work with the child. And so you need your tools on how do you create a therapeutic home environment? How are you going to show up for your child? In those moments, how do you approach anxiety or OCD? How do you help your kids through those things? And learning those skills is really, really valuable. And it makes a huge difference on the child's long-term prognosis and success. And I do that with you for free. I set you up and give you all the ingredients that you need to have a therapeutic home environment. And you can sign up at atparentingsurvivalseries.com. It starts next week. And I look forward to getting to know you better over there. Okay, without further ado, let's listen to my interview with Ben. Well, I want to welcome Ben to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to to have you on and for you to share your story because I know parents are just really wanting to hear directly from people's experience. And so the more people I can get on who have lived experience who are willing to share it, the more other people can can learn from that. Like your story has value. So before we jump into that, could you give people a brief introduction about just who you are in general? Yes. Um, So my name is Benjamin Ellis. I am a 20-year-old male living in the Southeast United States. I am an amateur MMA fighter and college student. Yeah, that's I saw that on your Instagram account. I was like, wow, you're doing really good with your um, professional career. That's awesome, especially at such a young age. I try. Um, it's, It's definitely been a a great outlet for me and a really good way to promote advocacy in a space that doesn't get a lot of advocacy for things like mental illness. Yeah. And that is why I think highlighting 
in particular, voices that are not highlighted in this area is so important. I think in general, it's important to highlight anyone's voice, but it's harder to get a male perspective. There are people out there that are vocal, but I think connecting with those teen boys who are dealing with OCD and anxiety and feel embarrassed and, and you know, to have them hear someone else's story is just so validating. No, you're, you're totally right. It's it's far too common for men to just be ashamed of what they're feeling, for them to just feel weak, to feel like this is all their fault, like they're not working hard enough, when really it could just be an underlying mental health issue. Yeah, exactly. So let's let's start off with your journey. Like, where did it begin? When did you first start noticing some anxiety, OCD issues? I've always had anxiety ever since I was like a, a, little, a little kid, just kind of like a, that uncomfortable feeling of almost like guilt in my stomach. And then I would, of course, looking back now, it's like, duh, this was OCD, but get super obsessed over different people, different different things, like a game or a toy, um, certain places. And that carried into my later adolescence, kind of 17, 18. And then I just kind of fell apart. I kind of broke. I developed an, an eating disorder as a compulsion, a way to, to deal with all the anxiety and the obsessions. And then I tried to, I tried to kill myself when I was 18. Yeah. And it's unfortunate that it got to that point. Mm-hmm. No, but no, nobody knew what to, to look for. It was, I kept it all inside. I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. I thought there was something wrong with me. Yeah. And I think a lot of men in particular, but also women are ashamed and they, they keep it in themselves. They struggle by themselves. They don't get support. It's hard to find the right support anyway. And then mm-hmm. um, it, it culminates in something like that. It, and it was hard to confide in even even like friends because I would confide and then they'd be like, yeah, you sure you're not just faking this maybe? Or like, wow. or being like a like a pansy or something like that. It's a, a nice way to, to put it. But <laughs> Yeah, I think peers can be harsh. And I mean, it's their adolescence. It's not, there's no, no malice behind it. It's just... Right they're teenage boys, right? And teenage boys are not, not known for their great empathy and skills. Yeah, it's true. You know, and that, that can be a hard thing. So when that happened, was that kind of your entry into like therapeutic interventions and getting, getting support? Yeah. So the, the OCD was not addressed at first. It was the, the eating disorder that I developed as a result I was I was a wrestler in high school, so everybody was like, "Oh, he developed an eating disorder because of this pressure from wrestling," which ended up just not really being true. And I went through eating disorder eating disorder rehabilitation for two months um, in the Midwest and didn't even get an OCD diagnosis or even have the thought put into my head that I might have a anxiety disorder until my last day there. And what happened on your last day? I finally was just like, I, I was having terrible intrusive thoughts, just very taboo um, thoughts, everything like violence, sexual obsessions, things that were really taking a toll on on me because they were so <laughs> against my morals. How could I have conjured up this thought in my head? It must mean I'm a bad person. So I figured it's my last day here. What do I have to lose by telling this therapist? So I just said like, this is what's going on in my head. And I... I don't know what to do about it. And she was like, that sounds a lot like OCD. Thankfully, so, thankfully she yeah. realized that because 
a lot of times I would think they wouldn't even recognize OCD in that, in those type of intrusive thoughts. Mm -hmm. No, but, and I also, I kept it inside so much because I was the only man in that eating disorder facility. A lot of the thoughts that I had, especially the sexual ones, I, I couldn't bring them up in front of a bunch of women, especially women who had dealt with their own sexual traumas. I, I had no idea how to, how to share this. Yeah. I, I would imagine that would be even harder, you know, being the only guy in a treatment center for eating disorders. So oh did you gosh, find yeah. that your, was your eating disorder related? There's just a bunch of noise going on in my house today. <laughs> my goodness. Did you find that there was, um, was there a correlation? Because I feel like there's a lot of like OCD disordered eating versus kind of what you'd call an eating disorder. And then there's people who have comorbid conditions where they have an eating disorder and they have an OCD diagnosis. Were they interrelated? I was bulimic. Okay. So that act of purging was a way to alleviate, to find relief from whatever I was obsessing about. Interesting. So you'd have and, an intrusive thought and your compulsion was to throw up. Yes. And also that that self-harm portion of it, the, the pain that I would feel from throwing up, the, I know something with the with the opioid release in the brain when being linked to the pain feeling as I was vomiting, it, it provided relief from the obsession for however amount of time I was hunched over the toilet. So there was no like, the core issue wasn't I want to lose weight or I don't, I feel gross because I ate all this food. It was, I'm having an intrusive thought. I need to purge myself of this, like metaphorically, physically, and feel that the pain. Exactly. Yes. That's interesting. I mean, compulsions can be anything. That's an interesting connection. It took me a long time to figure that out too, because everyone was like, oh, you must have problems with your weight or must have self-confidence issues, which was true, just not in the way that people thought it was. And if you're, you know, if you're like many other people who feel like I'm not going to bring up these taboo thoughts because you're not hearing that in mainstream media, that those are really common OCD intrusive thoughts. And so you wouldn't even think to divulge that because it may just feel like those are your own private thoughts. No. And there was a lot of, a lot of like social media posting where it's like, Oh, this is, this is your subconscious. This is your deep desires of what you might want. And I, I, just transparently was having a lot of intrusive thoughts about like sexual assault and rape. And I, I was like, there's no way I would ever do this to anybody. Why am I, why is it even in my head and just swirling around and ruining me? Yeah. And it's those kind of thoughts, which are actually really common um, Mm -hmm. after puberty. A lot of sexually intrusive thoughts are common for both male and female, but I think like the assault ones or being a victim of assault, you know, it depends on what you're bringing to that, to that intrusive thought. But that, that struggle with, is this who I am? And it doesn't help with the pop culture of, you know, your thoughts, you know, you are your thoughts, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, I mean, that has its place, but not in the, OCD what a, yeah, what a, what a very, very counterintuitive message for somebody who has OCD, right? I know it is a struggle, but those really aren't like, my thought is those really aren't, those obviously aren't a person's thoughts when they have OCD. And so the, the first step is just getting them to recognize that those thoughts aren't your thoughts. Those are OCD thoughts. And when you value something, OCD will kind of hook into the opposite. And so it it kind of snags you in that way. But I do Mm -hmm. feel like a lot of people with moral 
scrupulosity and, and harm OCD thoughts, they can have those compulsions that are almost punitive. And those mm-hmm. goes, those go missed a lot because a lot of people feel like compulsions can't be self-harm or they can't be punitive. Right. Well, I mean, I, when I was experiencing these thoughts, I didn't even, I didn't even think it was a possibility that I could have had OCD. I didn't think I, I only knew about what, what everybody who doesn't know about OCD knows about it, right? That it's just, oh, you split the light switch or you wash your hands a bunch, which I, I, I had no idea. I think the goal is just to get out more stories of the the multiple flavors of OCD and the way it can show up so that people can can see themselves and hear themselves in these stories and say, that's normal. That's a common OCD thought. Because if they won't, if people won't share this with their clinicians or even going earlier, like their parents, which who's going to share that? That's very uncomfortable. Then they're not going to get the help that they need. And so it's like this vicious cycle of how do you destigmatize something that someone's not even verbalizing? Yeah, no. And I think if I didn't know, how could my, how could my parents have known? All they knew was this kid is struggling, losing weight, throwing up every day, like something is wrong. Did they know that you were making yourself throw up or do they think you were just throwing up? Yeah, they, well, at first they thought it was just throwing up because I, uh, kind of lied to them to make them think that way. It was just, oh, it's morning sickness. But eventually when you throw up 10, 12 times a day, you can't have morning sickness into 3 p.m., right? Yeah. Well, that gets really scary, you know, and I, and eating in general and, and OCD around food gets very scary. I know I have a 13 year old son who has similar similar intrusive thoughts. You know, he's got some moral scrupulosity stuff. I mean, obviously I'm not privy to everything probably that he's thinking, but Mm -hmm. a lot of restrictive eating and some, you know, in the history of like some self-punishment of like, you know, I'm going to pinch myself when I have this intrusive thought. And I think people don't realize that those things can sometimes, that's a scary thing for a parent to hear because they want to believe that, you know, those, those type of things can't be compulsions, but they can be. So it is important to, to be cognizant of that. Yeah. The pinching thing as well. That's a, that's a very good thing for parents to look out for when I was, when I was in third grade, I had memories of having an intrusive thought and stabbing my arms with pencils. Yeah. And I think it's important to make that clarification that, and I don't know if it was like this for you, but when it's a compulsion, it's like, I'm having this intrusive thought that maybe that's sick or disgusting, or is not aligned with who I want to be. And so I'm going to get, I can almost neutralize it. If I can do this to myself and like punish myself, then I'm neutralizing it and it will go away. I don't know if that's how it felt for you. That That's exactly how it was, was if I inflict some sort of physical pain on myself, I punish myself, therefore am alleviated from the burden of the intrusive thought. Yeah. Versus self-harm, you know, where it's like, I'm so sad and depressed by these, by my thoughts, or I'm just sad and depressed by life that I want to harm myself. I mean, there's a subtle difference there, you know, cause one is like mm-hmm. truly a compulsion where you're not trying to, in that moment, you're not just so overwhelmed that you just want to like scratch at your skin. It's like very intentional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And unfortunately I did, it did get so bad that the lines did become blurred. Yeah. But it did, it did start off as just a way to punish myself compulsively to alleviate the the anxiety those thoughts brought up. Yeah. I don't think this is talked about that much because I know with my son, it would be pinching. He'd bite his, his tongue. He would like curl his toes in his shoes to the point where it would hurt him. 
Yeah, you're. These are all all things that I did as a kid. All right, now you're making me nervous. <laughs> Just kidding. No, no, you you you've got the 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 tools and the knowledge to be able to help you help earlier, way earlier than I did. Well, it's but it is good to hear, you know, that these are the junior versions, and that it it can get bigger and even scarier into the importance of nipping in the bud and being proactive. There's so many people that have a wait and see approach with OCD. And it's like, I think you're highlighting the need to recognize these symptoms early and get that support. So I want to circle back to your story. So you tell your therapist on your last day at the treatment center, but they're not an OCD treatment center. I'm assuming anyway, right? No, no, no. It's all, it was a refeeding facility. Pretty much everybody comes to this big house to be pretty much put into a more stable position to then go into an outpatient therapy to then figure out what's going on with you. Okay. Yeah. And I would say like a normal treatment center that doesn't specialize in OCD. And now you have some that say they do, and they really, they really don't, they're not going to see these type of things. So, I mean, it was kind of a gift that your therapist recognized that that was OCD. Where did you go from there? I went and brought it up to my psychiatrist. I, when I came out, I was trying to find what the right medication was for me because I had been on several different medications, antipsychotics, had a really scary withdrawal episode from one of them. But went to my psychiatrist and was like, hey, let's do an OCD test. Let's figure out, see if I meet the criteria. And of course I did. So we were able to, me and my team, get proper medication, find the proper treatment, which is exposure therapy, and then start to work on really managing and reeling back those, those OCD symptoms. It's time we put help directly in our kids' hands. Introducing Crushing OCD Course for Kids and Teens. It was way more helpful than all the other therapy we've ever done because we didn't really know what to do. So we weren't really doing it before. So the course helped to figure out what the exposures are and how to do them. We're not in therapy and find it really hard um, to find an ERP trained therapist here. Um, So we're currently with like the public health service, but again, they don't seem to be trained in ERP. It's filled that gap that we don't have that was desperately needed. This was really well timed for us to use between therapists and to help us like start get off to a good start with this new practice. It was easy to use. Um, I was able to do it from my phone or also on the computer. There's different ages, you know, so there were younger kids, there were teenagers. And um, so that was really nice too to have a variety of ages where it wasn't just geared towards younger kids or older kids. It was a nice variety. It's helpful for our kids to hear it from this like third party as opposed to just us saying it. I really like the offense and defense method. I love working on poking at OCD while it's sleeping. It makes it a little bit easier to do and it's kind of fun. (laughs) I'm planning on using it to work on my uh, fear of like holding or touching batteries and stuff like that. So it was really helpful and I think a lot of other kids would like it. I thought that I was like the only one who had worrying about the weather and stuff. And then there was somebody else on there who worried about the same thing, which was really helpful. Seems less scary to work on stuff now that I've watched this class and I'm more interested to work on it. I like trying to do more exposures still and going to, before I wasn't, I just didn't want to do them. I've worked on some of my bigger compulsions and been successful. I realized it was helpful to do like the exposures 
before it was like really, really hard. It's still hard, but it's helpful to know that I need to do them. Before there would be a lot of battles about it. So it is definitely less loggerheads. Really, really good course and super helpful. Definitely would recommend this. It's really easy to follow. It's a nice bite-sized videos. I really like the worksheets that go along with it. And I think it's really helpful. To learn more about this course and register your child or teen, go to atparentingsurvivalschool.com. So how long did it take you to find an OCD therapist from there? Was it hard? So I didn't know. Yeah, it was incredibly hard to find an OCD therapist. I didn't know about companies that existed like NoCD or anything through the IOCDF. Mm-hmm. It was just like, okay, let's find the therapist on Psychology Today. And if they have OCD in, in their bio, then they know more than I do, right? Which yeah. unfortunately just isn't the case a lot of times. <laughs> Not and true. Yeah. It, I, I think in total, I've seen about eight therapists before I found one who actually was able to give me proper treatment. That is so insane. So you already know, you've advocated for yourself. You already recognize that you have OCD. You go to the psychiatrist and advocate to t- take a test. And then after that, it takes you eight therapists to to get to the right evidence-based approach. Yeah. And God, it was such such an exhausting process. Um, quite, quite the... Um, quite a test of resilience if uh, I'll, I'll say yeah because i think a lot of times kids give up after their first or second therapist who's not getting it and who's making it worse that, that's understandable right a hundred percent and then that's really scary because then they really they just they really have a lifelong struggle with ocd because you're only 20 and then you graduate you know you had your suicide attempt at 18 so we're only talking about a two-year journey right now and you had eight therapists. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. You come so far. I mean, I don't know you. <laughs> I'm just getting to know you by talking. But I you're so like articulate about about your struggles even in this short period of time. Mm-hmm. I I made it quite I made it my my life's goal, my per- I don't like to use the word purpose. It kind of starts to <laughs> take into some existential OCD, right? Um but it it fills me with with a lot of a lot of joy and meaning to be able to help others and help get that reward of helping myself. So I I I think I just told myself I'm like, well, I already tried to kill myself, so I'm not gonna die. So might as well spend the rest of my time here trying to see how how well I can manage this and help other people who's struggling like me. Well, and I think research does show that when we kind of take our pain outward and we help other people that there is a therapeutic component for ourselves. And I like, I can Oh, of course. Of course. Um, I had a mentor who uh, he, he's, he was very active, kind of like a, a pioneer in this, this industry he was a, a hockey player named uh, Clint Malarczyk um, struggled with OCD, very masculine guy kind of put that idea in my head of me talking to you right now is helping me with my OCD maybe try and do the same thing. Yeah. I do feel like it helps because one, you're not, you're not so inward, right? You're like outward. I know for me mm-hmm. with my social anxiety, cause I'm similar, like I'm very open about my struggles with social anxiety. It almost holds me more accountable. And as a mom to, you know, three kids with anxiety and OCD, sometimes it makes me do things in a better way. Cause I'm paranoid. I'm like, I can't be a hypocrite, you know? So it's like, it makes me work on myself more than maybe I would. I don't know. No, it's um there. There's a uh, 
there's a legitimate kind of philosophy behind outwardly stating your goal. Like my goal is to get better. <laughs> I better, I better do it. I better, people are going to hold me accountable. So let's, let's do it. Yeah. I do feel like there's some power in intention and just being like, I'm struggling with this and I'm working on that. And you know, the OCD journey is messy. And so, and it's not linear. It's not linear. And so I don't think anyone expects any vocal, you know, OCD advocate to, to be perfectly amazing with their mental health. It's just being transparent and being open with your journey. It's like sharing your journey as you go. I'm not a person yeah. and I share and it's a mess a lot of the time. Yeah, and and I, I think it's really good for like, if you're an activist to also share your lows mm-hmm. because that then people will be able to see, Hey, he, it's not sunshine and rainbows all the time. He's not, we'll use me for an example. Like he's not totally, it just, he's not like totally beat it. Like OCD is no longer a problem. Like I still have lows. It's just, I now know where to go, where to seek help when I have those lows. So then I can emerge stronger. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think it's so helpful. I just want to go back if we can. Can we talk a little mm-hmm. bit about some of the, the therapy that you had that you found wasn't helpful? And then I want to move into the things that you started to do that you found were helpful. Because I know parents are going to want to know about that. Talk therapy is terrible for somebody with OCD. That was pretty much all I had for until I finally was able was introduced to ERP, EMDR, stuff like that. But just the idea that it wasn't okay to just sit with my discomfort, that you must share, you must c- compulsively speak what's on your mind. It's, it's okay to speak what's on your mind and then get reassurance from that, kind of perpetuating that cycle. Um, having these therapists who don't know a lot about OCD project their beliefs on other things onto me. I had somebody try to say I had borderline personality disorder, which I not true. But weird. Mm-hmm. Um, just simply because I was struggling with some some abandonment issues and or some fears of rejection, but not relating it to any kind of OCD or anxiety, just projecting their own, their own agenda on me. I don't think people realize how subjective mental health treatment is, which is super scary that mm-hmm. you know, therapists can have these subjective opinions about your clinical diagnosis and then impact you and your mental health that way, which no. it's, that's why finding the right therapist is so important because they have a lot of power, which can be scary if you're not in the right hands. Yeah. And some more that, that stick out to me that I think are important to share was a very common OCD symptom is questioning your sexuality. And there is there is a legitimate difference between actually being someone who is LGBT and somebody who isn't, but just assessing about the what if. Right. And I was trying my best to articulate that like, hey, if I'm straight then why am i having these these thoughts like if i'm not attracted to men then why am i obsessing over this and they they say they said you have a lot of ingrained homophobia wow which did not do very good for my uh my my morals and my my view of myself yeah which actually could fuel you know more of your ocd theme if it's it's coming you know because you have those moral scrupulosity type of ocd themes it's just hooking right into that yeah, I feel like that's the danger with a lot of OCD themes that are not known in mainstream media and they're not known by therapists. 
because I think a lot of therapists just think OCD is like another manifestation of anxiety and not as separate disorder. If you have harm OCD and you don't want to kill yourself, but you're having intrusive thoughts, you could wind up on a psych ward for, you know, all the wrong reasons. And if you have intrusive thoughts, you want to harm other people. I mean, there's just so many different rabbit holes that you can go down. Sexual orientation OCD is a huge one because they just, Mm -hmm. the average therapist who doesn't have any OCD training would think they need to process this. It's coming from somewhere. You know, what's the origin of this thought versus OCD will just give you random, like intrusive, upsetting thoughts that are not aligned with who you are um, and then want you to get into them. No, and I had a lot of therapists trying to delve into like, topics of like oh you must have been assaulted at some point in your life things that just never happened but trying to make them make them so to make it a little bit easier for them to try and work off of when really they just had a lack of knowledge about OCD yeah that's that these are really good scary examples of of why finding the right OCD therapist or even just waiting um you know if mm-hmm. things aren't critical until you find the appropriate OCD therapist because, and I don't, people will say to me like, Natasha, do you know someone like within my area? And they'll get mad if I like refer them to someone who's like two hours away or an hour away. And I'm like, do you know how amazing it is that someone an hour away from you provides OCD treatment? Like Mm -hmm. I had people drive, one of my practice was open. People would drive from California, New Mexico, Colorado for therapy because there was no OCD therapists that were available in their area. It's like people will, will go at great lengths to find right therapists because of yeah, what I, I drive almost an hour to see my therapist and I would not go back to the one that was 10 minutes from my house. Yeah. Convenience is really not part of the equation when it comes to finding yeah. OCD therapists. And the convenience is finding the relief from, from some of these, these issues. Yeah. Not how much, how far you have to drive. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of people that you saw on their profile listed OCD as something they yes. treated. So. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely important for parents to look out for when looking for a therapist is a lot of therapists will have general things that they may be covered in school so that so they list on their website, I am trained in this, where that's not the case. If for specifically OCD, you have to find somebody who is trained in OCD. I think out of all the issues that you'd go to see a therapist for, OCD has a very specific training. Um, and ERP is, is something you have to be taught and trained in. It's not something that a therapist is just going to intuitively know. It, it takes a lot of work. I imagine for a therapist to immediately not do the gut reaction of you're not a bad person for thinking this, not give that immediate reassurance and rather having me stick with the, the discomfort. The very counterintuitive therapy. Yeah. And it does take a strong stomach to be an OCD therapist because you're not doing talk therapy. You're not trying to make someone feel better. You're trying to I always thought of it more as like, like a coaching school type of session. Like I'm teaching Mm -hmm. and then I'm coaching. And that's sometimes not how we view therapy. Coaching is a great way to put it. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I coach my parent, my parents, my kids, you know, I feel like I coach parents. I feel like I coach people in my sessions. So then you finally found, thankfully, a great therapist. Can you talk a little bit about the things that you did that helped get you to where you are right now? Mm -hmm. The big one was just learning what it means to sit with the discomfort, not stop shoving it down or diverting the the discomfort that would come from a certain emotion or a certain activity or remembering a, a certain event in my life and just making sure to, to feel it. And then if it was more of an external thing, resisting the compulsion for a little bit, 
doing writing about the about the resi- the resisting how it made me how it made me feel what are some t- uh, coping techniques that I did instead of my compulsion stuff like that yeah so are you still in therapy I am I am starting to lessen now but yeah. are you do you do exposures frequently or do you just live a life where you try to like not give in to your OCD no I frequently do exposures there have been some compulsions that I have I, I think I've beat and then there are and are very easy to manage there are some that I'm still working on yeah I which is why I'm still in therapy but once once I'm able to work through those just I can go to therapy a little bit less yeah. I think it's just learning those life skills and learning to apply them. Um, once you get your wings and you're able to, to know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Something else I was going to say to you. Oh, I know what I was going to ask. So I'm trying to think what parents would want to ask you. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's a lot of kids who are your age and a little bit younger, especially men, I would have to say, but not, not, not all who are really resistant to, to treatment. They don't want to talk about OCD with their parents. They don't want to do ERP. So the parents are up to snuff. They know because they're listening to me or they're, you know, getting my resources, but they'll, they'll message me or they'll reach out and they'll say, I I don't know what to do with my son. Like I can't even bring up OCD. Something ingrained in men culturally and biologically, I think to just be strong, take it all on your shoulders, which yeah, there is a lot of fulfillment to being traditionally masculine for most men i think but i i reframed it for myself as i mean i think i'm a pretty masculine presenting guy i do things like cage fight i have a stocky muscular build right like but i reframed it as okay if a man is supposed to supposed to be strong then he's gonna seek help he's gonna figure out how to make himself the most effective version of himself he can be and the best way to do that was to get help, to go to therapy, figure out what is what is up with my head, reframe my my thinking, because just changing how you how you think it's such a long process. But the mind is very powerful. If you can change yourself from a pessimist to an optimist, or change that initial gut reaction when something bad happens to the world is ending, instead to okay now this is a fresh start or a learning experience. It's so powerful and make you that much stronger. Yeah. I think that was, that was really well said. And, you know, hopefully maybe somebody will listen to this or some parent will have their young adult listen to this and they'll be like, you know, he's right. I do feel like it makes you more resilient. I feel like those of us that have been in the trenches and have had to like develop those muscles to tolerate discomfort, I think are stronger. I feel like my kids are stronger. You know, they've had loss and things happen to them after their anxiety and OCD. And I feel like they're handling it in a, in a very resilient way. And I think a big part of that is because they do exposures all the time and they're constantly bombarded with thoughts and they they've learned how to handle things that the average kid isn't going to handle until, you know, adulthood. So I do feel like it's a, Mm -hmm. it's an empowering, resilient journey. It's not a weak journey. Yeah. And I I've had, um, kind of a, a specific example. Well, vague and specific i had a major life event that happens to everybody at some point or another happened to me in high school that that was a a catalyst to me a big reason of why i attempted suicide was it was just like this is i can't i can't handle everything that's going on with my head and this life event and that same life event happened a few months ago and 
I haven't thought about killing myself at all because of it. Uh, it's been hard, but I've been able to use my coping mechanisms, my therapies that I've learned for myself, the, the different activities and distractions and communities that I have to work through it and still be productive and functional and still ride the ride the wave. Yeah, it's a really good example because, you know, you're carrying all this weight, you know, all this mental stress, and then any life event was going to tip you over. And then all this support and building those muscles and, you know, facing your fears and moving towards discomfort, you're going to hit roadblocks in life, you know, life happens and, and um, we have, we have losses and big events that happen that are overwhelming. And I do feel like for a lot of us, we show up even better to those situations. Not that we want them, but you have, like you said, you have the coping mechanisms, you have the support network, you've, you've been practicing how to handle uncomfortable things. So that's yeah, good. no. And, and life, life, there, there are struggles in life that everybody's going to, going to go through, like a breakup, being fired, changing schools, something, something of that nature. But some, if, when somebody has the tools to deal with their anxieties and OCDs and, un, and OCD and uncertainty about the future, they can better deal with those life events. Yeah. So well said. Well, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. We'll have to have you back on in a little while, like circle back and see how you're doing. Yeah, of course. And I, I hope the parents watching this, I mean, I, I found your show through my mom. She, she listened because she was trying to better understand OCD. And oh, I know a lot of parents who care about their kids are going to want to see how they can help them. So I hope, I hope this is able to help some mothers with, with, or mothers and fathers with, with sons and daughters might be struggling with this. Yeah, it definitely will. So I appreciate you sharing your story. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, I hope that you found that helpful. I felt that was incredibly brave of Ben to come on and share his story. And I'm really enjoying capturing other people's stories. Ben and Sean recently came on and highlighting their stories so that we can learn from them. There's so much to learn from other people's stories. And when they share them, it's such a gift to the rest of the world to learn from their experiences. Because the more we understand someone's experience through OCD, the more we'll have an insight into our own kids and their struggles. So um, I want to thank Ben again for coming on. And don't forget as well that I am rolling up my sleeves and preparing to tell you the ingredients that you need for a therapeutic home environment. And that is in my series that I do twice a year called Survival Tools for Parents Raising Kids with Anxiety or OCD. It is about a week and a half long, but they're on-demand videos. So you sign up and then you'll get those videos in your inbox. So it's very stress-free, um, not a schedule-oriented type of uh, free series, but I do do live classes every time I do this series. And so people do get to know me and I get to, to teach more in depth on the videos that you will get in your inbox. You don't have to participate in the Facebook part of it. You can just get the videos um, and enjoy that information for free. You can sign up at atparentingsurvivalseries.com and I look forward to seeing you over there. So if you are enjoying my podcast, don't forget to hit a star on iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher, wherever you consume your podcast. Uh, and if you have a few extra minutes, don't forget to write a review. You know, I greatly appreciate that. And I do hope that you find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. 
Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. 